Catherine and Josie. My name is Lori Clark. My pronouns are she, her. This is a special time of year for the welcoming congregation when we celebrate the past, the present, and the future of LGBT plus community, Q plus communities. In June of every year since June 28, 1969, Stonewall riots, the queer community comes together in celebration of what was then called the Gay Liberation Movement, now called the LGBTQ plus movement. This is the one time of year this community protests and celebrates coming from a place of oppression, suffering, and police brutality. I celebrate myself during Pride Month, which would not exist without activist Martha P. Johnson, a bisexual, bisexual transgender woman of color. She was tired of police transforming the bars of New York, places many of us show up to be with people who understand that despite many hurts, fears and abuses endured along the way are accepted. I could relax. I felt that way when I could be in a bar dancing with women and not worrying about who I would see. I could relax and enjoy and just be me. Like those at Stonewall, regardless of shaming and bullying, many persevere and sadly some don't. I may not conform to societal norms, but I look around and you can look around and maybe on the outside some will. And yet here I am still protesting and celebrating for diversity, equity, and inclusion rights. I am a daughter, a sister, mother, grandmother, and wife. Someone who is vulnerable, someone who has been bullied and shamed on the edge so that now I am always looking around and wondering, is it safe to be me? Let's take a trip down my memory lane. At the age of nine, I had a huge crush on my fourth grade teacher. She had long dark hair, green eyes, wore hard contacts. She was pretty and I thought of her often. She was in The Sound of Music as Maria at the theater in the Grove. Mom and I had tickets as usual, but I was sick. I begged mom to take me anyway because that would be the only chance I would get to see that play and see my teacher. It was really good, and mom had no idea that I had a crush. I had some crushes on a few boys through junior high school, though those did not seem right for me. Maybe it was because I had earned the nickname Danny from the Partridge Family series. Thinking back, I did dress and really resembled him a lot. What I didn't realize at the time was that I was being made fun of. I actually never thought anything about it. I just wanted to have friends and belong. I did not fit in to any particular crowd then. In high school, I was considered a jock. I did not really fit in with them. I was in choir and I did not fit in with them. I did not fit nor belong to any clique. I had one boy acquaintance, not really a boyfriend, 
not really a friend either. We went to a few dances and a Christmas ball, and that was about it. It was odd that I did not feel like myself until my first girlfriend as a senior in high school. That was the first time in my life that I felt right. I fit, my lights turned on, and I hit a home run. However, in rural hometown Forest Grove in 78 and 79, one had to steal those moments in the shadows, or even in high school, in the bathrooms, being a lesbian. It was not safe to be out in the open. We had dated for six months. One of the moments in the girl's bathroom, we got caught kissing. I felt scared, ashamed, guilty, not sure what to do next. Hoped it would not be a big deal. That started a series of being bullied and hateful comments. This went on for six months, being shunned, ignored, or avoided because I was different. The worst part was having large rocks thrown at us. We were sitting on a high jump landing phone talking, not even making out or anything, just talking. We were in a track field. The rocks were being hurled about 500 yards away and they were the size of a plum. Nobody was around. When the word got out, her family knew. Her parents demanded that we not see each other again. We stole precious moments, usually away from school, downtown, or on the Pacific University campus under a huge sequoia tree. Nobody could see inside, especially if it was daytime. Downtown, we would set a time when we could meet in a secluded doorway to steal a kiss or a hug at night. Her aunt and uncle lived around the corner from my house and that made it very easy. After six weeks of not seeing each other, she threatened to kill herself. I did not know if anyone else knew about her thought of harm. Her cousin took her to the coast for the weekend and I picked her up. So maybe her cousin did. We never talked about who knew. I freaked out because I loved her and not knowing what to do, I ran away with her. The problem there, I was 18 and she was still 16. We went from Forest Grove to British Columbia, Washington to Montana, Montana to Texas, Texas to Oklahoma, and my 1970 Chevy Nova three on the column stick shift. Boy, was that a hard one. Then my car broke down. We hitchhiked Interstate 40 from El Reno to Oklahoma to Jacksonville, Florida with truckers. And that was an experience. We ended up in Jacksonville, Florida, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? I don't know anyone. 
I left a good job on my way to a career in nursing. We had not much money except enough to buy one candy bar. I had, I had had enough and we headed back, sleeping under overpasses along the way, hitching rides with strangers back along I-40. She went into a hotel with a creepy stranger and I said, no, I wouldn't go in. She did. It didn't feel right, something was off. I could not call police. She was the runaway and I was, well, by law, her abductor. Somehow she was able to get him to leave the room and we got out of there. We caught a ride with a couple of more truckers and ended up being left off in Little Rock, Arkansas. The idea was that we would live with a relative in the Ozarks. We caught another ride with some guy heading that way. And in the wee hours of the morning, he stopped by a storefront. We got out and rested on a bridge. It must have been about three or four in the morning on the edge of Jasper, Arkansas. We were picked up by police for supposedly robbing that same store that the guy stopped at and we were jailed. We were strip searched and put into what I would call a holding cell and given a honey bun and orange juice for breakfast. I was allowed one phone call. So I called my mom who wired money from my savings so I could get home after my release. I took a Greyhound from Jasper to Portland but get this, I had not had a shower for two weeks. Those poor folks on the bus and restaurants and anywhere else, they probably stood yards away. I would have. Because she was under the age of 18, she was a minor. She got to be escorted home on an airplane. <clears throat> it was lucky that while the parents wanted to charge me with kidnapping a minor, they chose not to. I never saw her again. And I did not want to be in the same town of Forest Grove. Her parents were well-known business people at that time. Upon my return home, I was questioned by the Forest Grove police detectives about many things during what I call the escapade. My parents also got a call there to pick up the car, my 1970 Chevy. It would not start. So I had to fly myself and my brother to pick the car up. We got it fixed and drove home with some of his friends back across I-40 through Vegas, Tahoe to I-5 and home. I then chose to join the Air Force after I returned. In my shame and depression, I withdrew into myself until leaving for basic training. I felt so ashamed of what I had done and who I was. I stuffed it down and I lied to get into the Air Force since they outright asked if you were gay. All I could think of was getting married, having kids, proving that I was straight. 
that I could live that normal life. I wanted a family. I also wanted mom to have grandchildren. Back then, there was no agency like the Trevor Project, the Human Rights Campaign, or a local community center. Trevor Project was founded in 1998. It's a leading national organization that provides crisis intervention and suicide uh, prevention services to LGBTQ plus young people under the age of 25. If there were agencies, I had no idea what they were or where they were. I was in, not out from that time on. I married in 1980 while in the Air Force and divorced in 1984. I moved back to my hometown, Forest Grove, with two kids at 22. Still knowing I was gay, I married my second husband in 1984 because I wanted the girls to have a dad. That worked for a short time. I was always angry deep inside. Looking, looking for something that would make me happier. I was restless. I became a binge drinking alcoholic. Several times, my kids saw me in less than desirable ways. They also saw me rageful where I would slam doors, kick a hole in the wall when they were younger because my second spouse would laugh at me when we were arguing. Living a life as a heterosexual for others was wearing on me and it caused much pain. I took it out violently. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Having a family though was important for me to fit into societal norms. I loved and loved my family, but that was not enough to erase being gay. I fell deeper into depression because I knew I was not true to me. It was hard putting on a face that was not mine to wear. As time went on, I did not feel I belonged here. I was having suicidal thoughts. and did not feel I belonged anywhere, really. I was hurting my girls because I was not being a good mom at that time. I was just plain hurting so much. I lashed out at everyone and everything. I blamed myself for being weak. In 1990, I had my plan all set out. I planned on having a morning where the girls went off to school, husband went to work, his kids went off to, their, to do their stuff. My plan was to drive full force into the side of an overpass support in my car. But there are two things that stopped me. My children. <laughs> I realized I couldn't do that to them. 
While married to my second husband, I followed through with a seven-year plan to leave that relationship and divorce him. I wanted to live my truth of who I am. He had threatened my life a few times. I needed a plan to safely exit. I was waiting until my girls were adults and to be able to execute my exit plan. I wanted my daughters to be able to care for themselves before actually leaving my husband. My husband suggested conversion therapy. Now conversion therapy refers to any several dangerous and discredited practices aimed at changing an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. Conversion therapy can come in many forms and is sometimes known by other names as gender critical therapy, reparative therapy, ex-gay ministries, sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts. Some conversion therapists use physical methods to treat or abuse people to get them not to be gay. While many local municipalities and professional associations condemn this practice, it continues in many religious institutions. And I said to him, no way. I know who I am. As hard as that was, I stayed my course for realizing the full me. I went away for a weekend to the beach to decide to end my marriage. Once I left my husband and came out as a lesbian at 41, my oldest was just 21 and my youngest 19. I lived in Forest Grove. I moved into Portland, Oregon, where it was safer to live as an out lesbian. I was determined never to go back into the closet. It was important to be true to myself. Even though living in Portland seemed safer, there were events where my safety was threatened. One example is being spit on by a panhandler. She called me a fill-in-the-blank lesbian. In that moment, I wondered if I was safe. Would she attack me, harm me physically? Emotionally, I had a scar from that. I want to pause here and mention the difference between discomfort and safety, though. When it comes to learning something new, being around new people, learning about LGBTQ plus rights, I have heard some people say they feel unsafe because I exist. I appreciate that who I am may be unfamiliar or might stretch some. Learning about someone who is different than you may feel really uncomfortable, perhaps, you were taught to hate people like me. Learning new things can be extremely uncomfortable, but learning does not make you unsafe. I am not threatening anyone's safety by existing or wanting to be treated with kindness and respect. I just never know when there's going to be a judgment in public, social media, or if on the phone I say I have a wife. During our recent house hunt, we experienced discrimination from a real estate agent. I have many examples, like during a pride 
parade in 2004, a known gay spot, some religious zealot extremists were two inches from my face calling me an abomination. It is scary out in this world as a lesbian. I am always acutely aware of my surroundings. I must be brave and true to myself. I am proof that trying to suppress my true self is a matter of safety. It is not safe for me to not be my full amazing person. Yet, when others know who I am, they may threaten me, my community, and my family. I have a non-binary grandchild that just came out. I have two grandchildren that are gender fluid. It is important for me to stand up for their rights. I was not active in the decades of making change during the time I was married from 1980 to 2003. Therefore, now is the time that I stand strongly for the LGBT plus Q plus community the time for me to act, however that looks. This is me and the lens that I look through. I love Unitarian Universalism. It is for me a life-saving faith. I hope you will join me in making it a safe place for everyone. Peace.